June 2011, one year and 11 months until my mother's death, age 28. For my birthday, I asked for an e-reader, the lightest one on the market, so I could hold it with one hand and cradle Autumn, who is three months old, with the other while she breastfed. Even now, it might sound luxurious, lounging on the couch or propped up with pillows in bed feeding your newborn child, but it was a Renaissance painting with mother and child in the foreground, while chaos fell out of the sky in the background. The middle ground was my reality. My nipple was Autumn's pacifier, and during most of those early days, I couldn't get anything else done except read. I'll continue to read more in Autumn's first year than I had for the previous 27, because I didn't just come to writing later in life. I came to reading later, too. My brother shared bootleg files. All were fantasy. After he sent it, I read George R.R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. The thickness of a book no longer intimidated me. And I became fascinated with how authors created their worlds. At the time, borrowing ebooks from the library wasn't quick or easy. After I reserved them, I had to download them onto my computer and then with a USB, upload them onto my Nook. The catalog was small and out of date, but I'd browse periodically and eventually came across Sarah Dessen's Along for the Ride, a young adult contemporary. I didn't know anything about YA contemporary, but I checked it out anyway and after finishing it, realized it was the environment for story I'd been searching for my whole life. I started Googling author interviews. There wasn't much available at the time, but I was hungry for information, for a look into writers' inner world, their creative process, their start. We still lived in the East Bay and my parents were in the Central Coast, but after Autumn was born, my mother and I had less time to talk, and when we did, we no longer schemed of ways to move closer to the other. I told her about a long for the ride, and she started to read what I was reading. She found a YA contemporary that dealt with nature conservation and recommended it, and I found one about art history and recommended it. We'd swap this way for the remainder of the year. No five-paragraph essays or reader-response questions no themes or choosing the right answer. It was no more than, I really like this one. And it was more than enough to connect, to emotionally bridge the gap of our distance. Story again became our neutral ground. I'm not sure the books we read together spoke to my mother's intellectual cerebral brain, but the writing was strong and the stories were smart. And if nothing else, they provided escape and entertainment when so many of her days were spent trapped in a body full of pain. After she passed, I would continue to be drawn to YA contemporary because in my hierarchy of values, emotionally or socially thought-provoking work was top. The category's voices were approachable. I liked the closeness of first-person perspective. Its form and language were always digestible. I didn't have to understand elven tongue to feel swept into their world. The books were edgy and fresh, of the times but pushers, of societal norms that no longer served relationships both familial and romantic, of themselves and the ways they'd excavate complicated feelings. To me, YA represented possibility when so much of my life was already written. I liked the feel of expansion, of getting to experience first again, of realizing that while my current world fell apart, there was this alternate one that could bring me back, first through others' lives and then through my own. Blank Space, November 2014, one year and six months since my mother's death, age 31. Ask for what you need, Jazzy. Go on and ask for it. My mother's voice followed me into the kitchen. It was still dark out. 
I woke up in the dark. I went to sleep in the dark. My life was full of darkness. It was 5.30 in the morning. Tom wasn't even up for work yet, but I was, and had been since 4.30 with Violet. I set the oven timer for 13 hours, the amount of time before Tom would get home from work and went back to the living room to pull another book off the shelf to read to her. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. My eyelids were the heaviest part of my body. I fought them page after page to keep them open. I won that time, but the strain made me lose myself more and more each day. Autumn came out before we had finished. Look, Vi-Vi's sister's awake. I held open my arm for her to join us on the couch. And then it was the three of us, every day, all day, and the next, and the next, next. Ask for what you need, Jazzy. Go on. Ask. I needed three years' worth of sleep and consistent help with the girls, and I needed to wean Violet so I could survive. When Tom got home, I was in the kitchen. I was always in the kitchen. At the sink, I caught my reflection in the window overlooking our backyard, but it was only a glance. Puffy and exhausted, I found it too hard to look at myself. I was washing leftover dishes from the day, loading them into the dishwasher while Violet was attached to my leg. She was crying, again. I made it 13 hours, but my day wasn't done. It was never done. After our morning art project and during snack, I tried to watch Taylor Swift's new Blank Space music video, but I only lasted 30 seconds because watching Taylor be glamorous and exude so much energy, energy I might never have again, made me feel like I couldn't breathe. Jazz, Jazz, I'll get these, Tom tried to be heard over Vi-Vi's wails. Go take a break. Take a break. <laughs> it's fine, I told him, even though it wasn't. Nothing was fine. After playing in the backyard and during nap time, I rolled this new beeswax body stick with essential oils over both wrists. Autumn watched computer while Violet nursed. I laid there, trapped by my position, afraid that if I moved, I'd wake up Vi-Vi. I inhaled the woodsy scent over and over, waiting for the calming effects that never came. That was it. My longest break of the day when I was meant to sleep and read and think and do whatever it was that would allow me to show up. But I was wired and tired. Afraid if I fell asleep, I'd have to wake up and I couldn't handle the process of waking back up. If I put down the dishes, I could pick up Violet, but I didn't want to. My body vibrated, overwhelmed by touch. At four months old, Violet started teething and biting my nipple. When I'd pull her off and tell her no, she'd giggle, showing me her gummy, chubby cheek, dimpled smile. At six months, her favorite thing was to poke and pull my belly button that turned from an innie to an outie during her pregnancy. My chiropractor said, just tell her no. I do, and she laughs. Can't you pull the waist of your yoga pants over it? Yes, but she pulls them down. She thinks it's a game. I understood I was the parent and she was the child, but I didn't feel like it made any difference. October passed, and with it, another failed attempt at weaning her. Autumn and I camped again, but this time we were safe, planning to sleep in our small A-frame tent in our backyard, the back garage door open so we could easily come inside. Tom set up the tent and then went out of town for the week for work. My mother-in-law, Sydney, flew in from Georgia to stay with us and help with Violet. It was worse than the gang. This time at 3 a.m. I was woken by the clang of metal and metal against our neighbor's fence. There was a beat, the wood groaned, and then something launched over onto our patio. Our tent shook. 
My brain went to animal because what else could it possibly be? I could hear hurried breaths, human breaths. I grabbed my phone knowing 911 wouldn't do a thing if they were already on top of us. I looked around for a weapon and instead found my sleeping child. The rainfly made it so I was blind to the outside. I didn't know if it was safer to stay or go, but I listened. Not just with my ears, with my whole body. I remained crouched over Autumn, facing the opening, waiting for the moment someone unzipped the flap and tried to get in. When it remained still, no hurried breaths except my own, I woke up Autumn and rushed us through the back garage door, through the door into the kitchen, locking it behind us. Sydney heard us and Violet did too. We'd woken her back up after it took Sydney an hour of pacing to get her back down. I apologized but was too jumbled on adrenaline to explain while red flashing lights pressed through the cracks in the blinds. When I opened our front door, our house was surrounded by a squad of police. I turned off the water and Violet screamed. I could have put the dish down and let Tom finish, but it didn't feel like an option because I would have been no closer to getting what I needed. I scrubbed the white plate with an unbleached white scrubby and Violet screamed. She didn't want Dada. She wanted Mama. Mama, she wailed over and over. Mama. It wasn't a conscious decision when the small porcelain plate hit the white porcelain sink. It was not intentional when I picked up a broken half and threw it again, stuck in a relentless cycle that I could see no way out of. I raged and screamed, and Violet showed us she'd been holding back. She, too, had another level. I ran out of the kitchen, through the door, into the garage. I ran out the back of the garage, into our backyard. I ran onto my knees, flat on my back. Ask for what you need, Jazzy. Do it. Just ask. Afraid the neighbors might hear, I muffled my cries into my sleeve. The winter grass, like a cool, damp hand, pressed in around me. I was meant to have kids, and once I did, I would arrive. It wasn't supposed to be this way. I would be satisfied, purposeful, like my time mattered. I'd feel vital, thrive in doing what was innate. I would be good at it, and the goodness would feed me. I'd give to them, and they'd give to me, and together, we'd be full. But they were insatiable, the tasks I'd given myself impossible. One of me and two of them, the more I gave, the more they wanted. It didn't matter what I did, it was never enough. Used up and spit out and so very sick, soul sick. I'll never be enough. Into the soil and earth I pleaded, into the night sky I begged. Help, mom please, I need help, please, please help me. My mother told me to ask for what I needed without leaving space for the reality that need and want are two separate things, because this I didn't want, but this I needed. For my growth, it was. I'm Jasmine Rasmussen, author and narrator of Saved, a memoir on purpose. Join me weekly for an oral telling of my novel, written in verse and prose, broken into short, digestible episodes. I'll guide you through my journey back to self. Click the link below to subscribe or go to jasmineleahrasmussen.substack.com to find out more.